welcome to Projections Podcast. Uh, very excited today to have Gareth Tunley, uh, writer and director of The Ghoul, one of my all-time favorite films on the show. Welcome, Gareth. Hello. <laughs> and Sarah and I, we've been so excited to have you on. Um, uh, I know, Sarah, I recently lent you the film. Uh, what did you think oh. of it right off the bat? It's one of those films where I was really angry that I waited for so long to watch it mm. because it was just, it was, you know, it was perfect. I thought you were going to say I was really angry. It was, <laughs> really, it was a really I short review. I was really review. angry and I'd like to keep you have here to shout at you. <laughs> wow. It's um, like that famous review of Isn't It Romantic where the review was just no. <laughs> Not the modern Isn't It Romantic, the old, the old 40s film. That's, That's a great nice response. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I absolutely loved it. Um, I thought it was it's perfect for Projections podcast. Exactly. But also, at some point a bit later, I'm going to ask you a little bit about detectives in film because it's one of my personal fascinations. Okay. And that kind of that fantasy. Um, okay. But yeah. It um, really is a perfect film for our podcast because we're interested in discussing. Weirdos. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you're in good company here. <laughs> we're interested in exploring and promoting films that represent mental states and psychological issues, and not necessarily like in an earnest way. Because often people think, like the discussion around mental illness, is that if it's going to be depicted in cinema or on TV, that it has to be in like these hushed terms and like always wrapped up in a positive bow message at the end like a public service announcement or something but we're we're interested in like exploring the nitty-gritty like the the harrowing stuff the reality of experientially what it might feel like to have like uh, potentially even if it's just a reactive depression or a reactive psychosis versus like a, a more chronic illness so and I thought the ghoul was so perfect it was such cool. a I'm beginning to feel out my depth <laughs> no what's, what's reactive what Reactive. So reactive. That? So that's just jargon. It's like yeah. psychiatry jar- jargon for when it's not like a condi- like a chronic condition, okay. but you're just reacting to a specific trauma in your environment. You're just reacting okay. in a normal so way. Not endogenous. Exactly. There we go. Ooh. Exactly. Oh. Now go. I'm feeling out. Of wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked that up before I came here this morning. No, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, in the in in the ghoul, it, I think it's it's not just reactive. Mm. What's happening to him? It's kind of in him in some way. And our, our I mean, we didn't look into, we didn't maybe I shouldn't admit this. We didn't really do much research. We didn't do kind of um, sort of academic style research hardly at all. I mean, I've got nothing against. It's sort of coming back to what you were saying about earnest depictions of mental health and mental ill health. Uh, one of the things that interests me is just kind of making up uh, pathologies. So it's not realistic at all. Even the pathology isn't realistic. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of made-up condition that doesn't necessarily exist, but it does for this character. And I think that can be just as um, just as kind of relatable as if you get everything absolutely right to the letter of the you know diagnostic and statistical manual kind of thing. I think if you just make mm-hmm. it up. Sort of from your own experience, would exaggerate or go wherever the story takes you. Like one of the th- interesting yeah. things about the film is that if I had to put a name on what the character is going through, I would say it's psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've not checked, but I think in all the reviews um, and all the sort of stuff written about it, which is a fair amount now, and all the kind of exchanges I've had, 
I don't know whether anybody's ever mentioned that that term. Really? That's so interesting. And the term that comes across is depression. Sure. Which is what he's pretending to have. Yeah. And he probably is depressed yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, as a sort of subset of, yeah. you know, of some other uh, thing he's going yeah. through. But it's weird that the kind of... Uh, it's a really strange thing about the film. It's a while now since it was released, so I can sort of, I've got a bit of um, distance from it. That, uh, yeah, that kind of thing that he's obviously a psychotic individual yeah. who's hallucinating doesn't seem to have struck people. <laughs> Do you think that's a, it's because it's a taboo? Is that. I wonder, yeah, people? I wonder whether depression's not a taboo, at least superficially. Um, I would say superficially only. I think it's still a massive taboo. Yeah. But superficially, there's, you know, every day is a hashtag, you know, mental health and depression yeah. and talk about depression, everybody's depressed. I'm slightly cynical about that kind of side yeah. of things. Uh, it's great that people are talking about yeah, it, yeah. but it's uh, but it's a superficially broken taboo. Whereas, yeah, psychosis is still a massive, yeah, massively frightening thing for people, quite understandably. Yes, yeah. it's it's such an interesting thing that you said about um, the idea of making up um, pathologies, mm. because I do think there is there is this sort of these two parts of mental illness where you have the um, you know, the, the people discussing, you know, coming out as depressed over a cup of tea in a nice room in on an advert about mental health. And then the really bizarre, unattractive, unimaginable side of mental illness that we just don't talk about, that where it almost could be made up. Yeah. Some, yeah. Sometimes mental illness is so, so <laughs> just bonkers for one of a better yeah. words yeah mad Literally. it's mad, it's mad. <laughs> yes it's actual madness maybe perhaps rehabilitate the word mad yeah yeah, I think yeah. yeah. and uh, in other areas of storytelling you make stuff up being a private detective is not actually like um, being a detective as it's depicted in films or television mm. there's a reason why that genre has evolved a certain way because it's a way of exploring you know existential or moral or social problems and you, you couldn't do that if you went what does a private detective actually do in the real world because you know they, they what, what do they do kind of matrimonial disputes a bit of industrial yeah. uh, disputes or something I don't know what they'd really do but they don't uncover huge conspiracies and uh, you know that kind of thing, and it's you know it's usually not solving murders, um, but they do in TV and film for a good reason. And when depicting mental health, it seems like you should have the same freedom to sort of go, well, I just make up what the what the actual pathology is. Yeah, and what struck me about the ghoul, I mean, just the whole setup of it. So, um, firstly, I, it's interesting to me that you're coming from. Uh, a background of where you're you're an actor, you're a performer. You've done some comedy as well. You you've you've been in a currently few... available. Yeah, for, for work. <laughs> and you've been in um, Ben Wheatley films. Yes. Um, and he also produced your film. Exactly produced your film. He exec produced. Yeah. Yes. Um, so t I'm interested first. Firstly, um, before kind of doing a deep dive in the ghoul, because I think. For anyone listening to our podcast, uh, The Ghoul is, I think, really essential viewing because if you're interested in seeing a really unique take on um, mental states on film, for me, this sits alongside debuts like uh, Aronofsky's Pie and Christopher Nolan's Following. I, I would put those... Confessions you know, of a Window Cleaner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
honestly, like those three films for me, The Cool and those two, two, okay. two other ones, Great. sit neatly together in terms of depicting a kind of, in a sense, the isolation that also comes with mental illness. Yeah. Um, and so I'm interested in how you made the transition from uh, performer, actor, comedian to writer, director. How did that come about? Uh, well, I've been, was, I got into, um, I got into acting to try and get into filmmaking and mm. I got into comedy to try and get into acting. All right. Uh, so I just went further and further and further away from what I wanted to do, which was to make films and eventually sort of got there in the end. Um, but, um, it was, a, it was really me and a small group of other people. I don't think it's unfair to anybody to say it was kind of a desperation we made the goal it was just painfully clear no one was going to give me like a million pounds to make a film or half a million or a quarter of a million or any any amount and so we just tried to make something uh on our on our off our own back and ben wheatley who you mentioned earlier he didn't just exec produce this film and he was his his name being attached was you know instrumental in getting the film mm. out there, um, but he I knew him before that, and um, he made a film called Down Terrace about ten years ago, yeah. a few years before the Ghoul, and that was kind of at first a model for us. But it's kind of deeper than that because the thing about Ben was not sort of going how did you make your film, but more just the kind of ethos of like you just got to invent your own rules and do your own thing. Yeah. And uh, Tom Meaton and Alice Lowe feature in your film. Yeah. Brilliant performances by them. The entire cast, actually, is really incredible. And the film got a BAFTA nomination, which was so excited for you. What was yeah. that like, going to the BAFTAs last year? That was, that was a, bit, a bit surreal. <laughs> yeah. Watching Willem Dafoe drying his hands in the Dyson. It's not something you see every, every day. That's really um, cool. But, That's an image. Uh, but yeah, that was quite, that was quite, quite mad. Yeah. That was quite mental. Um, I'm glad I haven't just imagined it in some strange psychotic episode. Uh, Maybe we've all imagined Willem Dafoe. Yeah. 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 Mass hallucination. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that was great. And that's great for the film. Um, and fantastic. Yeah. yeah just a, uh, when, when we were making it, it would have literally been a joke. Uh, you know, after a, oh after God. a particularly good, take you'd go well there you go that's the BAFTA um that's like, would have been literally a, a a joke on set so and it's probably you know it's likely never to happen again so it was a great it was a highly brilliant, doubt brilliant, that. brilliant experience <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant yeah I mean um I, I want to share my experience of seeing this film for the first time I went to, to the ICA okay uh and then I saw the poster there um I hadn't actually heard of it uh, it was annou- It was being announced that it was going to be screening the following week. So I saw the poster and I'm like, hmm, this looks intriguing. Um, and then I went and watched the trailer and right away I was hooked. I thought, this is right up my street. Like everything in this trailer speaks to me. So right away I booked my ticket at the ICA the following week. It was being screened. It was on I've a got, criminally... i got a story about the ICA. We went, <laughs> me, me and the other exec producer, Deraj Mahe, who yeah. was even more involved than, than Ben was... You know, instrumentally getting the film out there, but Deraj kind of shaped the the sort of uh, the the strategy for getting the film out there. Um, and we went on a kind of tour of cinemas on the night of the release, just sort of incognito, just <laughs> sort of looking at the looking to see how many p- tickets had been sold. And we went to the ICA, and um, we asked the guy, uh, "How many have you got in for the Ghoul?" And he said, "The what?" 
<laughs> and the poster was right behind him. I said, the ghoul? And he said, oh, yeah, um, yeah, we haven't got many in. If you want, you can just go in for free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's crazy. So, anyway, yeah, so that was... So, but when you went to... Were there any people there? When I went, it was uh, half full. Okay. Cinema was, it was in the good. big screen screening room. And there were a bunch of people there on some kind of... I don't I'm know if they were on... homeless a... people. <laughs> no. Just there to get out of the cold. No, it was actually a summer's day. Okay. Uh, and it was, um, there was a group of people in the row in front of me. They were all t- doing some kind of activity. Like they were not, not going on a pub crawl, but maybe a hike or something. I don't know. They were going around, walking wow. around in the parks <laughs> They got of lost London. and wandered into the ghoul. And they, they all met up to watch this film. Okay. And uh, and then I I kind of listened in. Oh, is it one end. of those things where you sort of... Like meet up. Kind of meet up. Yeah. yeah. I've seen yeah, the, London meetups. I've seen that the young people are doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were there and they were watching your film. And I, for me there, my personal experience watching it, I it takes a lot for me to cuz I see I watch a lot of stuff. It takes a lot for me to really um think, wow, I'm I'm onto a gem here. And it was the the moment when he's at the party and there's a guy there telling him you know, they've been smoking or whatever. Mm. I don't know what they were taking. And the guy goes, what if you're, you're, you're really who you think you are mm. and the therapists have messed you up and you've yeah. just forgotten or something? Yeah. And that moment, I was having one of, a moment that I rarely have, is pure cinematic experience, oh, cool. fully doubting myself, like full dis- yeah. suspension of disbelief, like who what's going what on? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, Mary, um, that sounds horrible. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> That sounds really traumatic. Good. No, that's what I want yeah. when I go to the cinema. Well, the first time I the, the first time I went to because I've seen a few times. I actually surprised myself because I hated watching it by the end of the you know working on it because you get sick of it. But then I kind of enjoyed. I think I've probably seen it like a few times. You know, more than a handful of times with audiences because I sort of enjoyed it for a while because it was kind of uh, I don't know. It just it just felt good for some reason. Mm. But the first time I went to see it was at. Um, uh, on uh, Upper Street, at whatever View Cinema on yeah. Upper Street, and I went. And there was a very small audience, and obviously nobody knew who I was. And as we were coming out, the credits were rolling, and this guy just came up to me and went, "What the fuck was that all about?" <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "I don't know," which is kind of truthful. Uh, oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, he was as bewildered as anyone. So at this stage, I, it probably would help, without any spoilers, uh, just to kind of run through a little bit about what the film is about. So it's a, it's a guy, we see this guy, he presents as a homicide detective when we first, in the opening kind of scenes of the film. Yeah. And he goes undercover as a patient. And as you said earlier, he pretends to suffer from depression. Mm. It's all a kind of, you know, plot, a, a hoax that he's cooked up with his, uh, a former colleague of his. Yes. Uh, to investigate a psychotherapist, Alice Lowe's yes. Lowe, character, yeah. yeah, and he's doing all this um, to go undercover and in- investigate a psychotherapist, um, a lady called Fisher. Her surname's mm-hmm. Fisher, and he believes that she's somehow linked to a strange double murder that's occurred. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the size of it. Yeah, that's the size of it. And as the therapy sessions continue. And he, you know, we see him taking certain steps to like, maybe uh, he's recording the, the sessions and he's kind of rooting around in her stuff when he's got her back turned. He's clearly investigating her. But as these sessions continue over time, 
the line between fantasy and re reality begin to blur. So now suddenly we're in a space where this is an unreliable narrator and we, we've, we've been led to believe he's a detective, but now we're actually not sure. We, we think that this might be part of some other symptomology. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And what I love about the film is that even in the last... By the time the film finishes and everything's been like... Un everything's unfolded, I still don't know what's the truth. Like, I still don't know. And I'm not here to, you yeah. know, obviously, it's, it's, it's quite an abstract film in many sense, yeah. in, in a lot of uh, ways. And it can be maybe interpreted in different ways. But I, I love, what I, my, my point is that I love that feeling of being I'm unsure. I was just about to say, there's nothing Mary loves more than not knowing what the truth not is. Not knowing what the hell is going and on. there is nothing I love more than finding out the truth. So we're sort of a uh, perfect duo yeah. of yeah. <laughs> podcast companions. It's so true. It's so true. Love ambiguity. Give it to me. Yeah. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say, because, because it's such an interesting, um, it's not a linear plot it's really very much on a Moebius strip and this is even something this this loop you know that we find um this idea that this Moebius strip being something that's mathematically unorientable yeah uh very much at the heart of your the 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 the, the film and the way that the film is structured um this kind of non-linear continuous loop without beginning or end is very lynchian relying on some dream logic there a lot of surrealism all the references to the occult and magic mm. and how uh, now fisher is in cahoots potentially with this other therapist moreland yeah um and i gotta say it was so freaky after i after i watched the ghoul at the ica i went up to northwest london to meet a friend like in queen's park w walking along um I think it was like uh, Bronsbury Street or something. Look over, and there's an estate there called Moreland Estate. Moreland Estate, like Freaky. yeah. <laughs> okay, wow. And I, I, I was thought like, you were gonna say Jeff McGiven who played Moreland. <laughs> I thought there. you were gonna say that too. <laughs> oh, even more free. He probably lives there. <laughs> so that really, like, yeah, <clears throat> took me aback. But I guess I, I'm interested to hear from a filmmaker's perspective. What's it like to kind of structure? a film on this type of narrative is is it does it make you feel more free to like depict and express or is it logistically a nightmare to uh, figure out there's some of it i don't think it makes you feel more free really because it's not a like sometimes people if you have flashback structures it can free you up because they can kind of go anywhere mm. and and sort of gives you something else to cut to in the edit Whereas we didn't really have that with this. It was fairly constrained. It was pretty difficult. Um, yeah. There were all sorts of things to do with the fact that it was a low-budget film. Like, the film obviously makes use of the same locations multiple times. Yeah. makes a virtue of the fact that it's going over all ground. So it was, an, it was an advantage in that way. But mostly it was just horrendously confusing. But the scripts <laughs> always are. I mean, yeah. I mean you know, um, scripts that are kind of... You know, high concept and ambitious um, things that lead the audience up the garden path. That's difficult, but nothing's more difficult than a straightforward realist film. Mm. You know, that's the really hard thing is getting real life to play out on screen. Uh, you know, that's not a nightmare. Um, 
you know, because real life isn't dramatic, you know, <laughs> and it doesn't sort of, it doesn't just, it doesn't do any of the things that drama, even when it is dramatic, it's kind of sudden and unsatisfactory and you wouldn't want to watch it. It's not entertaining. Um, it's not entertaining, yeah. yeah. Um, and so mm. making that, uh, so I suppose it's liberating in that way, in that it's a, it's a slightly, it's a very fantastical film yeah. where kind of anything can happen within certain parameters so it kind of frees you up in that mm. way uh, but the hardest bit the hardest bits in the edit were just the bits where there's two or three people in a room talking and you've got to make that work uh, those are the those are the the hardest the hardest bits and the bits with kind of warping roads and stuff was the oh, fun yeah. bit you know mm. that was the that was the fun yeah I mean it's so interesting to me because there's also like through his process, this character's process of going to therapy, right? So he's, we're not, we're now no longer sure why he's there. Is it, is he, is he just presenting as a mm. depressed person? Is he really ill? We don't know. Yeah. And he meets this other guy who, I, I don't know, sorry, what did you think? Did, do you think he had manic depression? Like, bipolar, he seemed very, he was taking medication for the bipolar I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, not in psychotherapy training, so yeah. I'm not to diagnose yeah. the, the characters that I'm watching. I just, um, I was, I identified so strongly with the with the lead character that I was just very, very worried as soon as that character came on screen. He just seemed like a person that would, yeah. it would drain you or would harm you in some way. He just came on like seeming like a very. That's Rufus character. Jones. Hello, Rufus. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, no, he's a manipulative character. I mean, just to be, uh, just to correct you slightly, yeah, he's um, he's maybe not taking pills for bipolar. Uh, he's so Morland says he's not a manic depressive. Ah, uh, that's it. And and he says, did you did you look at the labels on his uh, on his medication? So yeah. the indication is that it might be medication for something else. That's the, that's it. That's what. it. Because he did present as very manic. He kind of reminded yeah. me of well, that can um, be an act. That mm-hmm. can be an act. And he sort of. I found just that uh, that initial uh, moment where he says, "Come for a coffee with me, or I'll call the police." Oh yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I just thought, oh, that's psychopathic. That's really, you know, that's like, yeah. that's bullying. That's yeah. yeah. Just it, it really. Yeah. It's intimidating. He's just joking. He's just having. He's just. He's just having a giggle. Well, that's what. Banter. That's what. That's what real bully. Well, Bance is very bullying, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a great yeah. article about that. I think oh, in the it? Guardian. Just okay. The, the, yeah. The sort of the history of banter and how yeah. it's really just glamour is just glorified bullying. Yeah, oh, I totally God. associate a certain kind of banter, kind of. I'm just kidding. Come on, that kind of banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, uh, Lighten up. Yeah. yeah. With a with a kind of cover for all kinds of um, all kinds of bullying. He's not quite in that. He's not. Mm. He's not domineering in quite that way. He's more charming, isn't he? Mm. Um, but charm is a. a uh, yeah. It's a behaviour as opposed to a personality trait, yeah. isn't it? It's something yeah. you're trying to do to other people. Yes. Mm. Yes. And he's uh, he's maybe pretending to be ill in a certain way, even though he might be ill in another way. Oh, yes. Uh, and I think that's an interesting thing. With that's a very taboo idea because it's such a sort of can of worms. The idea that um, people with mental health problems might pretend to be ill—that yeah. completely floors most people. They just can't. That just seems like a very undermining thing 
to say, but I've, I've had mental health problems and I think it's true to some extent. You can be ill, but still be kind of, there can be a performative sure. mm. sort of side of it. I think that the film that captured that, I don't know whether it's supposed to be like this, but um, what, what's the Gina Rowland's Woman on the Ver- uh, oh, Woman Under the Influence, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Woman yeah. Under the, under the, the John, Is it the John Cassavetes yeah. film? Does she sort of play acts being mad, but she is, if I could, you know, to use that word, yeah. mad, but, you know, whatever she's going through, yeah. she sort of does an over-the-top version of it, while at the same time it's real. I thought that was very, mm. you know, kind of accurate about the way people... That nuance. Are. Yeah, mm. it's a very brave thing to do. Yeah. Um, and it's probably a product of her being a brilliant actor and also the way that he, that, that Cassavetes works, that they discovered that. Um, but it's a strange idea that you can pretend to be uh, mentally ill while at the same time being mentally ill. Maybe that's maybe it's tied up with the whole um, thing of be, of having mental health problems. Yeah, I think pretending. that's really fascinating. Actually, I think especially in the way that other people respond to you when you do have mental health problems. I think if you don't occasionally remind people that you're yeah. sick, they'll yeah. they'll just think they'll just assume that you feel better. Yeah, I think that's a I huge am. thing. I think that's a huge thing. That's a huge part of it, and also, what is what is the outward behaviour uh, of somebody with an inner life that's gone awry? Who 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 knows? You have to sort of invent it, don't you? Mm. Um, so, uh, I mean, there's that. Is I mean, you guys will know better than me. Is it the Rosenhan experiment? Do you recall that thing? I don't uh, know. I don't know that. I think it's Rosenhan. Where um, this is off the top of my head. I'm yeah, prepared yeah. for this at all, so I might have this wrong. So people can kind of Wikipedia or something, but. Uh, there's a maybe we can do it now because we've got laptops. Yeah. But um, there was an experiment. I think it was started. In, I think it was first done in the '60s. It's probably ethically a bit dodgy, like a lot of these things. Um, and I, I'm I'm sure it's maybe not scientifically proving anything. It's more illustrating a possibility. But they uh, they checked a lot of people into mental health institutions, um, and they got them to declare that they had symptoms. But uh, yeah. um, but uh, yeah. but not in any way behave in any way different to you know to normal. Mm. Whatever one of the problems is, how, what's normal behaviour in a mental health institution? You know what does that mean? And of course, you know, loads. Not a single one of them was identified as not being ill okay. by the doctors. So no no doctor or psychiatric nurse said, um, you know, this person's not. And it, they were all they were all uh, identified as schizophrenics, mm-hmm. you know. So it wasn't nothing mild. Um, it wasn't just they said they were feeling a bit down today. You know, it was fairly extreme uh, pathologies, mm-hmm. and they were all accepted as being schizophrenics. Sometimes they'd be they'd be marked down in the notes as uh, being in remission, but That's still right. still suffering from this pathology. There's nobody ever expressed any sort of doubt, and the fascinating thing is that. Whatever whatever behaviour they exhibited, so if they were just sat in their room, yeah. they would be you know sort of abnormally uh, reclusive. And if they talked to the other patients, they would be exhibiting you know um, abnormal kind of sure. outgoing qualities. One of them was caught taking notes as part of the experiment, and uh, they, they that this was perceived as something like you know abnormal note taking or something strange. Oh my God. And then there's a sort of twist where it became a sensation in the 60s um, and a lot of the psychiatric community said uh, there are all kinds of objections to it. I'm sure some of them are, are, are real. Um, 
real objections, not just ethical but yeah. scientific. I don't know how how well it stands up in terms of you know being uh, properly scientific or. Yeah. But one of the one of the famous incidents was there was an institution where they said we would never fall for this. Our uh, mm. kind of filters are too, uh, robust. too good, too yeah, robust. Yeah. We would never fall for for this. You send as much. So uh, Rosenhan, the the person who, who this experiment's named after, mm. agreed to send an undisclosed amount of um, fake patients to this institution over the next you know two three years, whatever it is. And by the end of this period, the institution had identified, I think it was like 40-something patients. Mm -hmm. And then the twist was that he hadn't sent any... uh, He hadn't sent any patients at all. Wow. So this sort of thing of, like, what a... a, what a what a mentally ill person is supposed to behave like is is an interesting thing, and that's one of the things we were kind of thinking about in the film. I say that, I mean, we were, you know, we were making a film sort of on the fly... And so a lot of this is kind of a bit retrospective. We were thinking about it at the script level um, during the script development a bit, and we were thinking about it in the edit. But when we were making the film, we were thinking, you know, what's for lunch, like you usually do <laughs> when you're making a film. Because i got to say, like, it just felt so... Um, if I were, you know, like, I've seen a lot of, like, Nolan fans. They, they create these um, infographics to try okay. and uh, sort of... You know, join the dots between all the different plots and see if the the, the internal logic of the film yeah. checks out. There's one guy online who's done that with the ghoul. With the ghoul, like, there's one guy. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty interesting to see what somebody had made of it. I can't really say it's right or wrong. It's just somebody's take on. In a, yeah, interpretation. I, I suppose for me, like it just felt. I mean, I haven't I haven't done that exercise myself. I would like to try and you know um, tie up all the the, the, the ends. Um, from just you know black on white just to see what it looks like but it just in, emotionally relating to it as a spectator it felt really like connected mm. it really felt like a real loop mm. um, yeah, what did that, you... it's interesting that but wouldn't that exercise say more about you than it does about the ghoul <laughs> like that, that's the kind of thing that I think is really interesting about yeah. and when you said um, that you I mean, I think it's completely true that part of the reason why people were addressing the depression mm. as opposed to the psychosis is the taboo aspect. But I think there are, I, would, I wonder if there are, that was kind of going to be my next question, if there were a lot of cases where someone else, what someone else got from that film surprised you. Because it, mm. isn't, it didn't surprise me that people found it to be about depression. There were a lot of, mm. there were a lot of aspects of depression, especially that idea of kind of the shame, the sort of shame of fantasizing or the shame of wanting something better. Um, that kind of that really jumped out at me as being about that. So have there been a lot of people deciding that your film was about something that you didn't realise? Oh sure, I mean, uh, I mean even just the uh, the extent to which is about depression mm. surprised me. I mean not too much because obviously they talk about depression mm. in the film. Um, so uh, it's a, not a not a huge shock. People think it's about depression, but the the the. The fact that's so front and centre for people, I do think, says more about where we are as a society with mm. uh, 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 where where depression is positioned um, mm. by contrast with other types of mental Ill, Ill health. Mm. It's a sort of a uh, I'm being kind of crass now, but it's kind of an okay thing to have, mm. whereas other things still are in the box kind of thing. But it's I, also something that such a large amount of people are suffering with, mm. yeah. which is partly it's partly why more people would maybe jump at, yeah. at that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I sort of wonder what to make of this, whether there's uh, an epidemic or whether we're uncovering something that was there anyway. All along. Or whether, and I say this as somebody who, you know, has apparently suffered from depression, and so it, my, I'd be having to be questioned, I'd have to include myself in this, but we should maybe question as to whether what people are suffering from is depression. Mm. Um, whether it's mm. just life, <laughs> and you shouldn't pathologise it. Right. Um, I mean, this goes back to, you know, people like Thomas Zass, or, mm. you know, that kind of... Uh, side of things where um, we maybe just kind of put pathological labels on things where you just should just go well this is just life's tough Um, life's horrible at times it doesn't mean you're mentally ill yeah yeah Um, there may be I mean I don't really agree with his ass Mm. ultimately I think there's probably some category you can meaningfully call illness Mm. mental illness it's probably meaningful enough but he has a kind of point or had Mm. a point Mm. that a lot of it is just, uh, you know, people are going through unpleasant times. It doesn't mean uh, that you're, you know, mentally... If you're, you know, if you're... If you're... If you've got a broken leg, you're in anguish. But it's not mental. You don't call it mental Mm. illness. Yeah. Um, And even in that Rosenhan study, I mean, it was published um, in the journal Science under the title On Being Sane in Insane Places. Mm. So this is the idea that, you know, to be well-adjusted in this, in a, in a uh, <clears throat> sort of uh, dysfunctional world is actually yeah. not a measure of mental health. Yeah. You know, you might yeah. just... There's the old idea, almost yeah. a joke, that, you know, a depressed <laughs> person is just a guy who sort of figured out what's going on right. and how yeah. the world works. We talk about I think that there's, We do. I think there's something in that, and that comes through endlessly in movies, yeah. you know, the paranoid person is just somebody who knows a little bit about what's going on in the world. Um, you get it endlessly in films, and I think it's for good reason because yeah. there's some some truth to it. Absolutely, yeah. And for me, like, um, and there's one interpretation yeah. of the ghoul, which is that he's the victim of two, uh, you know, kind of necromancy uh, witches. You know, mm. that strike me as much more far fetched than any other interpretation. <laughs> uh, you know, why not? Yeah. And the, the way that these like conspiracies get fleshed out in the film is fascinating to me as well, because I feel like it just sort of um, is aligned with a lot of like the, let's say, the established uh, criteria for psychosis in terms of someone who might be vulnerable that they start to because they, the, the, the fabric of the reality feels like it's torn apart. There's a kind of perhaps uh, opting out of a shared reality. So they're desperately yeah. trying to find a theory that explains what's going on. Yeah. And there's a lot, you know, it, it does make sense why we see, like, particularly YouTube, there's a lot of, like, uh, conspiracy videos on there. And, yeah. like... They usually go on for, like, three hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's never a 20-minute... No. ...concise <laughs> conspiracy video about the Illuminati. Right. I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I've never found the five-minute summary, you know, like an easy guide. Just the bullet always, points, you know. <laughs> it's always four hours long. Yeah. That's really weirdly high production values, isn't it? Oh, yeah. A lot of time goes into these things. Yeah, yeah. lots of yeah. lots of uh, edits, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, yeah. But actually, it reminds me of that meme, you know, like the... Um, it's, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, the yeah. guy who's there, like... Yeah, well, that's because... I mean, that's I've noticed that. I mean, we really... we. That's the one bit of the film that I sort of regret is we yeah. um, we went with that kind of trope of the 
the mad wall. Um, it just it's just one of these things that just uh, yeah we kind of dropped the ball or I dropped the ball. I don't think I don't think so. I think no. it really worked. Yeah, well, I, that's good. Uh, yeah, I think what it worked think? in that in that sort of overlap between the world of uh, of a sort of procedural yeah. detective yeah. fiction exactly. and mental illness. Yeah. You know, I love I as I'm a mad detective like murder mystery fan. Yeah. So I I can't I love a wall. Yeah. You know, yeah. there has to be a wall. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't. It, doesn't, it could be yeah. a murderer's wall, or it could be a police. Uh-huh. There's no difference yeah. to me. So, yeah, yeah, no, there yeah, is. No, there, there is. Keep and, the wall. Yeah, keep the wall. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's difficult to know which side of the divide he's on mm. as well. Mm. Uh, that character, and I suppose he could be. Uh, I suppose this is a bit of an excuse, but he could be kind of. Um, he could have got it from the movies, kind of thing, and mm. he's doing. He's 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 playing a role. Uh, so I suppose mm. that would be my excuse if I had to. But yeah, I sort of. Um, kind of uh, dropped the ball slightly on that I felt but but yeah that's uh... works for us yeah it's the one time I can say build that wall and not feel Trumpian about it <laughs> but yeah like I, it also kind of was fascinating because we were discussing the kind of magic stuff in it yes that was one of my that was one of my favorite bits the um the sort of inclusion of the magic this is the uh, the bit where he um makes this sort of piece of paper with the sort of letters turn uh-huh. into symbols of the things he wants the sigil oh it was yeah. and that's this is the difference between me and Mary Mary finished watching it and decided there was a conspiracy theory against her and I finished watching it and immediately turned to witchcraft and I was like <laughs> I'm going to do that okay yeah. <laughs> but you I did was... think about using it during the filmmaking to get the film made but yeah I did kind of wonder it. about the um, yeah. the the crossover between his him trying to manifest his desires and you trying to manifest yours yeah. and getting the film made uh, yeah, we did. I, I don't think we ever. I don't think I ever got round to it, but we did. It was tempting <laughs> at times. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting thing, and that sort of crossover between mm-hmm. magic and the sort of outer reaches of psychotherapy. And uh, I mean, I, I, I get the impression that a lot of psychotherapists sort of feel all they're doing is kind of slightly rewriting someone's narrative of their life with hopefully with their consent just going well what if we looked at it this way and that way and what if this were true rather than that were true wherever there's kind of doubt you kind of rewrite it in a more manageable positive or at least sort of bearable way um which is not that different from magical thinking it's not it's only Mm. a step away from magical thinking Mm. and then magical thinking is you know on the road to actual Actually, believing in in magic, so it's not mm. so it's not as kind of it's not, so. Morland's obviously a bit of a uh, with you know all reverence to Jeff McGiven is a bit of a nineteen sixties guy, um, and so he's kind of just steeped in all this kind of thinking. It's kind of sort of second nature right. to that character, um, and I think that his that he he doesn't uh, he's really just a kind of irresponsible uh, person. In that he doesn't see what we, the audience, see, but in his defence, we we're with the character the rest of the time, and we're in his head, so we know that he's vulnerable and open to um, suggestion, and, and very vulnerable to suggestion. Whereas Morland's character doesn't know that, and so for the rest of us, it might be fine to do a sigil and yeah, yeah, hope yeah. for something and see what happens. <laughs> and if something happens, you're kind of freaked out, but please, but. If it doesn't, you kind of forget about it and get on with your life. Whereas somebody vulnerable like like mm. that character, um, very open, um, 
it's it's that's the tragedy of the story is Moreland kind of underestimates that. Mm. A sigil. Sigil. That's, sigil. That's, I think that's how you say yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. thought it was something you made you made up, but it's real no. Thing. It's a real. It's a real, it's a real thing. I mean, real. I mean, I don't know how yeah. far back <laughs> it goes, um, but. Uh, yeah, I think there was something that became very popular in the 80s called chaos magic, where you sort of would make up your own, rather than worshipping or adhering to one magical set of rules, you kind of made up your own every day of the week kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's so, happening again yeah. with uh, Witches of Instagram. Okay. And, yeah. Oh, wow. There it is. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's, there's a, a hashtag thousand. I need to follow. Oh, I can't believe you're not. <laughs> no. Um, no, I guess just, I you know, desire is not, never really goes out of fashion, does it? Yeah. Mm. And magic, yeah, it keeps coming back. But in a way, it's so, you know, for me, magical thinking and uh, mental illness, strictly speaking, as a delusion, which is where one is kind of like stuck in this preoccupation that their thoughts are very powerful and they can manifest, mm-hmm. you know, um, events uh, just by thinking a certain way. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who, for me, just strictly in, t- in terms of his psychological makeup and what he fixates on, he he sort of romanticized the past and he, he lives with a lot of regret about how things might have turned out for him if he had, let's say, stayed up north or something, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So he's 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 pining for he's pining. Alex Lowe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And for me, like that that's interesting for me as it a psychological space. That character maybe represents some broader regret or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. For me that's interesting psychoanalytically it sort of maps out where he is uh structuring his thoughts, how you know, the way that he's idealized possibilities up north as if the up north is this magical realm this other dimension yeah. the alternate universe where he made all the right choices and now but not but right now he's stuck in this dimension where he made the mistakes and he's ended up here um and that's a really interesting idea for me you know just in terms of like i don't know i mean i'm 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 not a brit so i'm here like i'm an anglophile I don't know that much about the north-south divide. But we need we need all the help we can get at the moment. We need all the anglophiles we can we can, we can find at the moment. We're, lo- we're losing standing in the world. It's great oh, to God. Feel, great yeah. to hear if somebody yeah likes Britain. But yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I just I guess for me it's a cultural reference that um, is I, I'm aware of this idea of the north-south divide, and then there's mm-hmm. I feel like the film exploits that in a really original way. I suppose um, it's flipping what the ultimate kind of really, really bog-standard cliche would be the North's a bit rough mm. and the South's kind of, you know, I don't know, nicer, I guess. I mean, I'm from neither. I'm from Wales, mm. so I don't sort of have any skin in the game. But that's the kind of general idea. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. I think we've seen films before as well where London's kind of represented as the place where if you're delicate or vulnerable or sensitive you'll be you'll be damaged it yeah. happens in um was it i daniel blake where she says that she moved from london because okay. she was she was i still haven't seen yeah. that i still can't, oh, yeah, I can't I, i'm sure it's brilliant but brilliant. i haven't sort of uh, plucked up the courage it's not fun you're not gonna have a fun time yeah. but it is very good yeah 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 
Yeah. In fact, we even discussed that film when we were doing our season on uh, mental illness in cinema. We picked I, Daniel Blake in our section on depression because okay. yeah. we think that it's a sort of it, it touches yeah. on those kinds of things. Well, I haven't seen the film, but I but I I have said about because this is obviously the Ghoul's not a realist film. No, but there's nothing wrong with realist mm-hmm. cinema, and Loach is obviously the king. Yeah, yeah, and there's probably a. And I, Daniel Blake, just as I, Daniel Blake, as I understand it, is about the benefits system, yeah. or largely about that. There's probably uh, an I, Daniel Blake, to be made about the mental health uh, mm. system, uh, which again probably wouldn't be much fun. No, um, but there almost certainly uh, is. Absolutely. But we found it worked really well as a mental health film, just because yeah. of the the similarities between being depleted in your finances and depleted in your sort yeah. of mental and often resources, resources. Yeah. almost, in, oh, almost yeah. inextricable yeah 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 and the whole in a way the whole ideology of austerity how that completely eats away at the person's dignity like it it psychologically assaults people you know um it yeah. disfigures people mm. and um, again that that need to sort of prove that you're that you're you can't work is similar to prove that what you said about mm. having to perform mm. mental illness yeah. in order to get yeah. that's so true yeah you just sort of limp into the mm. into the the benefit session yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and the, yeah. the fact that the system is set up uh the, the whole system of um is it the department of work and pensions mm. tells these people who work in this sector to create a hostile environment so that it discourages people from taking benefits. So for me, it's almost like that uh, discourse, uh, sort of uh, looking at psychology and human behavior and accusing people of so-called malingering. Like that's the psychiatric mm. jargon for saying that you're pretending to be mm. sick. Yeah. You're, you're, you're fine, actually. You're just, yeah. it's all in your head. You just need to cheer up, etc. Yeah. All this kind of, all these tropes. Yeah. Same um, mental health. Saying mental illness is all in your head is a bit of a... (laughs) (laughs) I know, but isn't it amazing how often that gets put out there as an excuse, like, you know, um, as a way of undermining? But yeah, I guess um, another question I had for you, like just um, in this discussion really is what, first of all, who are your influences? your influences uh, in terms of directors, filmmakers um, that really impacted you? You feel like you're, I don't know, not that you're necessarily paying homage to, but they, they, they sort of shaped your vision. Well, the main thing is to say that we spent a lot of time trying to get away from any influence. Sure. That's not to say they're not there, but that's yeah, the yeah. constant thing for me and for Tom who, you know, uh, Tom and Jack who co-produced the film, um, who were there very much at the script and then the edit was trying to kind of bury any kind of thing where it's too much like um, uh, other things. Uh, you, you mentioned Lynch, I think he's on a whole generation, he's there, <laughs> you know, and it's just completely inescapable. Inescapable, and, yeah. Uh, couldn't deny that. Um, although I didn't, like some things I would sort of say are a little overplayed, like... Uh, a lot of people have mentioned Lost Highway, right? Um, which uh, I'm not denying the Lynch influence at all. It's huge, uh, huge, but that specifically that it's because of roads, I think. Yeah, I think, and maybe Driving identity and, yeah. slipping and stuff. Whereas all that stuff is there in other non-cinema uh, mm. stuff. Like there was a story when I was growing up. Uh, 
by Alan Moore, who's a big influence. Oh, right. Uh, it was a pretty obscure story in a comic I read when I was a kid called Ring Road, where there's a looping road. So everything's nicked from somewhere, but it's not necessarily where people Expect, think it's yeah. from. Um, and it's kind of something that is sort of there in pop culture anyway, I guess. Um, and uh, But a big thing... Uh, that I don't think show some th- some some of the things where you're consciously influenced by things, it doesn't show up. So a big thing was uh, Melville. I love uh, Jean-Pierre Melville um, films and things like The Circle of Red and those sort of gangster his gangster sort of cycle of films. And um, you know I I tried to be influenced by that. I don't know how much <laughs> it showed up, but. Uh, there's just something about, and so I would play some of the soundtracks to Wayne, our composer, and all kinds of. So it's interesting. Some things you try wow. to be influenced by, and it kind of doesn't take, or it's in there somewhere. And then other things you're kind of almost trying to move away from. But it's, it's a lot of it again is what people are more familiar with. Mm. I think audiences, yeah. are more, audiences are more familiar with Lynch, yeah, because he's brilliant <laughs> and very popular. Whereas Melville, perhaps yeah. people haven't encountered. Maybe a bit more obscure. Uh, a lot of it is just what people people see in it, what what they're familiar with. And the music in the film is fantastic. Your your composer did well, such Wayne an outstanding. Wayne Shepherd, yeah, who's uh, transformed mm. the film, um, you know, as much as any one person, um, and yeah, just did a uh, an amazing job. Yeah, really heightening the emotion yeah, and the sense totally. of confusion yeah. and tragedy in the film. The one thing that I the one thing I did with the music was to go. I don't want it to be incidental. I don't want it to be sort of in yeah, the background, yeah, yeah. kind of you don't notice it sort of thing. That's the one thing, and then the rest is just Wayne. Yeah. Um, but that was the only thing that I said was it's, con- it's going to be front and centre and there'll be sequences where it's mostly about the music um, and the sequence wouldn't even make sense without that particular bit of music. Um, so, yeah, it was hugely important to the... And, it, and that, right. that I sort of wanted that in the first place, but I didn't know what a good job Wayne was going to do, so it became even more... Um, important once I started hearing what he was coming up with yeah I do have a final question to ask I but first Sarah did you want to jump in with any thoughts before no I think no? I'm, I'm good yeah? yeah um one final thing I want to ask you Gareth is um can we expect a trilogy from you <laughs> starting with the, well, ghoul. the ghoul too <laughs> I'm a trying si- to rope you into like Miami Beach <laughs> Um, I don't know whether it, I don't know whether he's it would, you could just play the whole film again and call it the sequel and it just ran on a loop so just true. play it backwards or something um, no we're trying to get other things off the yeah. ground and there's other scripts and ideas but nothing's uh, it's it's still tough to make yeah. films in the UK um, uh, but um, but yeah I'm very happy to have a day job directing TV yeah. at the moment so but uh, but yeah there's definitely we're beavering away on on other projects. And is thematically mental illness still a motivation uh, for you? Yeah, I mean, I've, it's certainly going to always... Yeah, it's, it's definitely there. I mean, maybe not um, always psychiatrists and psychologists. Mm. I'm trying to write something about ancient Romans in Wales at the moment, so there's, oh. no, there's no psychotherapists there. Um, <laughs> but it's still it's still pretty mental in the broad sense. <laughs> in the broad, sense um but yeah no it's definitely uh something that interests me uh yeah mm-hmm. 
Fantastic. This has been such a real, such an interesting discussion. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I've been wanting Thanks to. For me. Yeah, pleasure. And we, we're going to be waiting with bated breath to see what you come up with next. We're really excited with the work that you're doing. Cool. So um, I feel like yeah, it's just exciting. And good luck with everything you're, you're up to now. Thanks both. Thank you.